0: Hi, this is Ed Carpenter, and you need more Front Wings.
1: to another more fun week podcast. I'm Steph Walcraft, joined by my co-editor Paul Dalby, which tends to happen. And uh, we're also joined this week by George Phillips of OilPressure.com as we prepare to lead into the 98th running of the Indianapolis 500. And we've brought George back to defend his title as the Indianapolis 500 Trivia Champion and uh, to see if Paul can can scratch and claw back at that and, uh, and possibly have the opportunity to wear that crown for, for the coming year. But we also have a jam-packed show for for you today. Uh, lots of, of great information and in- interviews. We had Simon Pagno and Jacques Villeneuve in town here in Toronto uh, for the Indianapolis 500 media tour, and both of them, I had a chance to spend a few minutes with with, and uh, they had some really interesting things to say about the new qualifying format and uh, the uh, the drivability of the cars and and um, the the power that they have and and some changes that they think that would be beneficial. Both of them uh, have some similar and some different opinions, so very interesting to sort through those. And uh, we're also going to sort through the um, the qualifying weekend. Both Paul and George were on site, so uh, we'll get a feel for how things went live on the ground, and also talk a little bit about what the impressions were uh, away from the grounds, and uh, and just sort of get a feel for whether the changes would have been positive or negative, and uh, what might be done going forward. But before we get to that, I really have to stop everyone and. and come back to a little bit of a conversation that was happening before we started recording the podcast because while I was doing some preparations, Paul and George got into a very important topic and that being the one of tenderloins in Indianapolis and I know that this is something that George has been on a real tear about ever since they introduced the new tenderloin <laughs> this year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch you with a rant into the new tenderloin, George, go.
0: Uh, the new tenderloin is terrible. Um, <laughs> that's, it It's it's, it's an abomination. It jumped from $6 to $9. And with that, when you go up and order just a tenderloin, you get this thing that has, first of all, is two very small overcooked fried patties with jalapenos. I mean, what that has to do with the tenderloin, I don't know. <laughs> jalapenos, chopped onions, um, um, lettuce. I, forget, well, I mean, just all. That's yes, and, and, Oh, and 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 uh, brown spicy mustard and tomatoes, and I, I even had to ask, "Is this mine?" And she said, "Yes." So, um, <laughs> it, and it, it was it was like something you you'd, you'd order in California. So, um, I spent about a day in depression, thinking my my cherished tenderloin is gone forever. And lo and behold, I happened to be in turn two on Saturday before the uh, the Grand Prix started, and I saw the indie grill and I noticed theirs were only seven dollars. I was thinking, uh oh, maybe this is it. So I went in I went up and asked and I said, No, it's just meat and bun. And I looked at it, like, Great, that's it. And lo and behold, oh and plus it was wrapped in full where the other one's just sitting in this disgusting basket. So um the Old style Tenderloin is there, but you've got to know where to look for it. Uh, the in, they're in the, thing, the stands called uh, Indie Grill, and it, if it's $7, if the Old Salad is $9. It's the one to stay away from.
1: Well, there you go. There's the inside scoop on Tenderloin straight from the expert, and if you could hear him over Paul and I killing ourselves laughing, then more power to you. <laughs> that was one of the best rants I've heard in a very long time. <laughs> Oh, I can do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So can let's... we just stop it there? <laughs> no, we have to actually talk about racing. So <laughs> why don't you um, start, Paul, if you can gather yourself together and t- tell us what things were like live on the ground for qualifying this weekend.
2: Well, really, I thought it was kind of a – a, a tale of two days from a it, from a um, the standpoint of, of the buzz created at the at the facility. Saturday was dead. I mean, th- there's just no other way to to describe it. From Saturday morning until probably until the the late afternoon rain shower. I mean, it was just dull. There was no excitement there. There was no energy in the in the entire stadium. There were about I don't know 18 or 20 people in the stands. It was just <laughs> Dull, um, And then after that rain shower, that, I don't know, what was it, 3 o'clock, 3.30, somewhere in that ballpark, it finally started to get a little bit more exciting when the whole, um, call it, if you want to call it bumping, if you will, when that all started with the, 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 the regular line and then the withdrawal line or the express lane or the fast checkout or whatever you want to call it lane, that's when it really finally started to pick up, and, and felt like there was something going on here that we needed to pay attention to. Sunday, on the other hand, felt like it was just a in-your-face right from the very beginning. And once things got going with qualifying at whenever it was 10:30, or I think they kicked it back to 11 o'clock because of the temperatures. Once that got going, it just felt like it was non-stop from there on. You qualified 33 through 10, and then they took a. Uh, an hour or so break and then they came back with the fast nine and that was action for 45 minutes but then the day was over
0: mm-hmm. but
2: uh you know the sunday i thought had a good cra- quote unquote good crowd comparatively uh i would say it was equal to maybe a little bit stronger than what the traditional poll day crowd has been the last several years uh i so if the goal was to make sunday a better crowd event i think they i think they did the job there but they certainly did it by taking away from the other day crowd because there's no other way to to slice it than to say the crowd on saturday was abysmal now granted it was cold it was very 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 cold i I think when we got to the track saturday morning about eight o'clock if it was over 40 it wasn't much over 40 Uh, and i made the comment to to our friend james black i said that you know Compared to the 1992 race that I sat through and George sat through, 1992 felt like a tropical paradise compared to what we sat through Saturday morning. It hmm. was it, it was a three to four layer type of day. It was that cold. Wow. Thankfully, thankfully the wind wasn't blowing. If the wind would have been blowing, I I, I don't know that anybody would have shown up. Did it, I hear? Was that cold.
1: Did I hear correctly that Firestone was actually monitoring the the air and track temperature and wasn't letting, they, they weren't letting cars out until they reached a certain point?
2: I believe that's correct. The number I heard several times yeah. was that the combination of, of the track temperature and the air temperature needed to be a hundred degrees. Uh, I think when we got there it was sub-90 mm-hmm. and finally within a couple hours, I think they started maybe an hour or so late, they were supposed to start at 8 and I think they started about 9 o'clock and it had just finally, that the, the sum of the two had finally hit a hundred degrees. So yeah, that, that that's it was cold. It was bitterly cold for middle to end of May.
1: Wow, George, did you have anything you wanted to add to Paul's comments?
0: Um, the only thing he was talking about how Saturday was was dull. I really thought that, and I will agree, the the Saturday qualifying, you know, early part of qualifying, it was dull. But once the rain delay was over with and things really got going with people trying to bump their way into the Fast nine and and whatever. I really thought that was more exciting to me to at least being there. seemed more exciting than what Sunday did. Sunday was just kind of uh, just, okay, let's just go. Bam, bam, bam. And they were done. Uh, everybody just ran one time. There was no strategy. There was a lot of strategy that was playing out on, on Saturday. That to me, and with the two the two lines going, that, to me, I thought was more, much more intriguing than just sitting there watching them uh, take their one shot on Sunday. Uh, but he, he's right in that the the crowd is much, much better on Sunday than it was on Saturday. And he's also right that the weather was just <laughs> just brutal on, on Saturday.
1: And which contributed, no doubt. I think the thing that added some intrigue to Saturday from – the outside where I was, I spent the whole weekend up um, in at, at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, which was not all that long ago, known as Mo Sport, following the uh, Victoria Day Speedfest weekend up there. And by the way, quick mention for um, Spencer Pigot and Scott Hargrove, two pro Mazda drivers who both competed in the uh, the. Oh gosh, this series has a really long name, and I'm not going to get it right. But it's like the Ultra 94 Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge, powered by Michelin, or something like that. Anyway, Porsche GT3 Cup cars racing at at Mosport, and um, Scott Hargrove swept both races for the weekend. Took it right out from all the regular guys. It was quite something to see. He was he was right on top of it all all weekend long. So um, it was it was quite something, and they were very pleased, obviously. So. Uh, if he, if he runs into a financial ceiling in the open-wheel world, then he probably has a promising future in sports cars. <laughs> um, anyway, so from being up there, that's where I was while I was trying my best to keep an eye on Indy 500 qualifying and they had screens on that were showing it. So I, had, I was able to somewhat monitor the television coverage and uh, the key thing that stood out to me on Saturday that added intrigue that wouldn't always be the case was just the fact that Kurt Busch was not there to attempt to get himself back into the Fast 9 in the afternoon once he was bumped out. And, and there was that period of time where it was, will he, won't he? Um, and then eventually he was. And, and so that sort of suspense of waiting for that to pan out seemed interesting. Um on sunday i think the thing that that uh, i wanted to bring up was I, I think paul you tweeted at one point on sunday that you thought that it was sort of anticlimactic to run uh the 33 to 10 qualifying in the morning when the temperature was lower and the speeds were higher and then um and then have the fast nine later in the day when it was warmer and the and the speeds came in mostly a bit lower although i think carpenter kind of smacked that all around didn't he um and i i think thought to myself at the time that I should mention that that didn't come across on TV at all, because you didn't get very much coverage of, of the uh, the 10 to 33 qualifying, and and there certainly wasn't much emphasis given on what speeds that had, had been done, and so I really didn't, see it, like if, if you weren't sitting at the track all day, it wasn't something that crossed your mind at all, so I thought uh, that was worth bringing up.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, that's a good point. I, I don't think that did come across on the TV. But certainly being there in the stands, the early part of the morning session, so call it maybe 33 through, I don't know, 23, 22, 21, somewhere in there, almost every driver picked up about a mile and a half an hour um, from from their Saturday run to their Sunday run. But then you could see as the track started to warm up, it started to slow down. And then we had a few guys that kind of came in where where they were the day before and a couple guys that even came in below. But in the end, you ended up having Juan Montoya, Juan Pablo Montoya, who had a great run on Sunday and actually qualified faster, I think, than the second- and third-place guys in the fast nine. It just seemed like the track had slowed down in that afternoon. So the people that were there in the the stands – you saw this buildup of speed in the morning, and people started thinking, Are we going to see a lot of 231s, 231 and a half, 232? But generally, the track had slowed down. I think there were some people that were disappointed that we didn't see a little bit bigger numbers in that fast nine than what we ultimately did. Like you said, Ed went out there and hung it all out and put up a great speed. But other than that, uh, there weren't a whole lot of uh, of eye-opening speeds I didn't feel in that top nine, and and that's where you're really looking to see see some of your your highest speeds, I would you, think.
1: You know what? That just sells the top nine or the fast nine format to me because it gives a it, if you cram all nine of those runs into um, a period of time where the track conditions are going to be more or less consistent, then. I think you're giving all those guys a, a fairer shot at, at uh, being on equal footing for for getting the poll. So the more I think about it, the more I actually kind of like the format because uh, it, it treats the whole thing in, in a way that's fair. And I don't really see it as being a, a big deal if the numbers in the Fast 9 are not as high because as long as it's communicated to newer fans why that's the case, I think it's something that's easily explained away.
2: And people that have been watching the Indianapolis 500 for years are used to that. It it very rarely did the field ever line up in speed rank from 1 to 33. So it's not unusual to have somebody further back qualifying faster than somebody ahead of them. Uh, So from that
1: standpoint, I would agree with you. That's right. I I don't know if there's Let George jump in. Go ahead.
0: Well, one thing that uh, about the, so far as the uh, 10 through 33, you know, they started in reverse order. So Buddy buddy Lazier went first and on like that. And so you did have those that were in the back of the field run in cool conditions, but the, those that just barely made the top nine or barely did, uh, failed to make the top nine, like Ryan Hunter Ray, he goes last almost on Sunday and, how many spots did he drop? Eight? in mm-hmm. Something like that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think that has to be just due to the, um, the warmer conditions.
1: Right. So, that, yeah, that's the opposite of, of the effect of cramming in the FAST9 is that when you have that longer drawn-out um, session to do the rest of the field earlier in the day when the conditions are much more changeable, is that necessarily fair? Yeah.
2: You know, I want to go back to something George talked about when he was saying there was the strategy uh, when we got in the last, call it 90 minutes of the day, that that strategy really was interesting. And I totally agree with George. I thought being there, I thought that was a very intriguing strategy and something to follow. Who's going to be able to bump their way into the top (coughs) ten? I'm sorry, the top nine. Who's going to be able to defend themselves? Uh, who's going to take the chance to withdraw their time, which, by the way, I still don't know that that was understood. Even as it was happening, I don't think it was well understood. Uh, I found out standing down there at the line by talking to Derek Walker and Brian Barnhart themselves that once you go in that line, your time, you have to run, and you have to withdraw that. So you can't go into that line, uh, wait for somebody else to to, uh, to run, and then if you decide you don't need to, you can't back out of that line without mm-hmm. withdrawing your time. According to Brian, the only way you can get in that line and not withdraw your time is if the track is closed before you get, you get a chance to present yourself. I don't know that that was ever explained either. Um,
1: well, not in a forum that we saw, but that doesn't mean that the teams didn't know about it.
2: No, maybe the teams did know, but but again, I don't think any of the fans knew. I think that's something that's that was would have been important. I don't think the fans in general knew, because I, I didn't know really until the day before, I don't think, about the whole two-line system in the first place. Mm. I think that was confusing. I did not
0: know about it until – I didn't know about it until Saturday.
2: Right, yeah. I was
0: up there all day Friday. Right.
2: Mm. But where where I was going with this, though, is that, that – that As George said, that last hour to hour and a half was very intriguing of trying to bump their way in. Something we haven't talked about and didn't play out this year is if we had 35, 36, 38 entries, now you also have bumping to get into the back of the field because you ulti- then you only lock in 10 through 30, and row 11 is where all the bumping occurs. So now you would have bumping to get into the fast nine and bumping to get into the field. To mm-hmm. me, I feel if that was the case, both of those going on at the same time, I think it would be too much going on to have both of those those situations happening at the same time. I don't know that that it would translate well. To be don't, quite honest, I, I, don't I think agree one with that. Would tra- I, think,
1: I think it might work better for the the instant gratification generation. I,
2: I think they would. I think they would detract from each other to be honest I, I think I think you would have one guy going out you know spending three minutes out there on track trying to bump into the top nine while somebody else is waiting and then they go trying to get into the the top 33 and as those bounce back and forth I, I feel like you lose a little bit of the drama of one of those from the other
1: I don't agree I think it would make for two interesting stories to follow individually. If they
2: were going on individually and separately, but as they're kind of intermingling and mixing together. I don't have
1: a problem with that. I don't think yeah. it would that be, hard, that be that hard to follow, especially not if the TV people were on top of it. George, are you trying to jump in?
0: No, but um, <clears throat> I think it, I would like to at least experience that once just to see Paul may be right, but I, w- I would like to just see how that plays out and see if we can – you know, multitask and tell see if those if we can keep up with that because it is a lot to keep up with. But uh, you know, you got graphics everywhere, so yeah. Um, yeah I I I think it'd be um, I'd like to at least see what it would be like one one time.
1: I think it would be fun. Um, we had someone write in, and this is somebody who also contributed a trivia questions, so we'll hear from him twice on the podcast. Forgive me; I'm probably going to butcher your name. Dan Bordencatcher says uh, he was frustrated because he felt like he had to pay twice to see what was done last year in one day. Is that a fair comment? Uh,
0: I think uh, I think it's a fair comment. I I really think that except for the uh, tv coverage the tv exposure they got i really think it could have all been done in one day and you're talking about one action packed day if that's the, if that's the case
1: mhm paul different opinion same opinion
2: I, I think the the benefit still of having two days is still there um, last year it worked it it played out that way because there was no bumping and they spread it over two days uh you know last year we, we spent the second day uh, which was bump day at the time watching michelle Jourdain run around trying to find five miles an hour and it, he never really had a chance he never really had a prayer of doing it so it, it was pretty much a lost day if we had again 35 36 cars going i think you have a different story as it played out yeah i, I can see his argument uh, but I, I still, I'm, I'm not ready to jump on the, the boat that says we can do this all in one day. I think especially so long, and, and I heard Kurt Cavin talking about this at length last night, as long as ABC is committed to, or ESPN is committed to broadcasting both these days, because both of these days got fairly decent ratings. It was a point, point 0.9 and a point, uh, well, 1.2, I think. Uh, which are good rating. those are are better than most indycar races get especially when they're on not on network they're twice as what they get when they're on network so you're getting that exposure i think that exposure is critical for the health of these teams and the more time you can put them in front of the public and especially the the point kurt brought up yesterday was fantastic was on that first day specifically you know, you weren't focused just on the Elio Castroneves and the Scott Dixons and the Ryan Hunter Rays, but you got good coverage of the J.R. Hildebrands and the the Pippa Manns and those people at the back of the field who uh, – J.R. is not at the back of the field, but the whole field that oftentimes gets lost in the shuffle. And, and to be quite honest, a lot of times, even during the, the broadcast of the race, some of the times the only time these guys get mentioned – is if they crash, and, and that's just the, the the hard reality of it. When the twenty third place guy falls out of the race, unless he crashes, they probably aren't going to cover it. So I th- think this was a great opportunity for them to get a little bit of exposure for their sponsors, which helps sell the sport and bring in, you know, makes it easier sell to additional sponsors. And say, hey, look, you're getting you're getting this exposure during during qualifications. I don't think you get that if you do this all in one day.
1: Fair enough. Well, one driver who was a big fan of the new format is Simon Paginot, who said uh, from a driver's perspective, he found it very exciting, very stressful, which, you know, if a driver is stressed out, you know, I guess it's not a positive for the driver, but the drivers recognize that that makes for great entertainment for fans. So we we spoke earlier to... um, we spoke on the Indy 500 Media Tour Day about that and a number of other topics, and he also shared a very personal insight into uh, why he decided to honor Ayrton Senna with his his uh, tribute helmet this month and exactly what Senna meant to him and the influence that he had on his life, and it was uh, it was very interesting. Um, Powerful for him to talk about it, and it was really great of him to share that with us. So let's hear now from Simon Pagenaud. Welcome back to Toronto. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, they always seem to send you up here. I think it's because you speak French, and they think that maybe we are Toronto journalists who speak French, which is yeah, not really not always, always the case. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. As long as people love me, that's yeah. We're very happy to have you always. So um, middle of the second row. Are you happy with that? Yeah, very happy.
3: Um, you know, there's always more in the cast so uh, yes. I think uh, we may have been able to complete. Before. Well, we did actually, so you know you're going to be happy. I think it's uh, it's very, very good. The team's done a tremendous job. It's uh, it's been a great year for us. Uh, Schmidt Peterson Motorsports is becoming one of the top team.
1: Yeah.
3: and uh, the car is really good. So really fast. Honda's been uh, really awesome. I mean, the engine, the new bit, uh, the new twin turbo is is, I would say, just as good or better than the Chevrolet, so yeah. it's, uh, it's awesome.
1: Great. Um, what did you think of the new qualifying format for this year?
3: Listen, I did not understand the process before. Right. I did not. Maybe I'm not a good understanding, uh, understanding of the, the paper, but uh, I thought it was super exciting. I thought the first day was really cool. Yeah. Um, going back, like I had three attempts. Uh, for the drivers, it was very exciting, very stressful. The uh, anxiety level was really high because you never know, never knew if your time was going to hold. Since you could go back out and not withdraw your time, you could go back out any time and try again. So it was difficult to have a time that could hold. And um, Carpenter went out, went super fast, and Castro Neves went out super fast, and then we were not fast. And we found two miles an hour in just in four hours, so it was incredible, it's pretty unusual. Uh, and I thought we showed really well. I thought it was exciting for the fans on the first day. And I thought the second day was actually uh, pretty cool too, just to give one attempt to everybody to finalize it. I thought it was yeah. a good event.
1: Yeah, great. Uh, you talked a bit about how well the team is is gelling this year in particular. Are you getting along well with Mikhail And there is a the chemistry in the shop good right now? It's
3: very good. Mikhail is, uh, you know, he's very professional. Um, he's had some good experience before. with Formula One. He's he's, he's been driving big cars before, and uh, he's coming up to speed really fast. And uh, you know, it's just a matter of For him to um, work on details now, he's got the speed. I mean, everybody sees it. You know, Uh, he's a good teammate. He's he's playing a super good role uh, as a support role for me. Uh, You know, he obviously knew going into the season that I would be going for the championship, and his role was to be there and help. And he's doing just that really well. So uh, it's enjoyable. He's becoming a good friend too. So. I enjoy our relationship. I really do.
1: Great. And um, how about having Jacques as well? I'm in for this month. Has, has his experience helped at all, given how, how distant he's he's been from it up until this year?
3: Yeah, I would say for him it was more adjusting to the situation. Yeah, it's been a long time, right? Yeah. So uh, racing has changed uh, because the cars have changed, mm-hmm. and now it's uh, it's a very different kind of uh, racecraft. So. He's been doing just that all week, I've been looking at him because I know he's a smart guy and he's <laughs> to get it. So he's just been racing in traffic all week and been focusing on his race car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't pay attention to qualifying, that wasn't his goal. Right. So I think he'll be fine in the race and it was interesting to see his approach.
1: Um, up over 230 miles an hour, a lot of laps this weekend and that's from that, that extra bit of boost that yes. the car gave you. How are you feeling on that? Do you think it's enough? Do you think it should be more? Do you think maybe for the race they shouldn't be bringing it back or do you think they've got it about right?
3: I, I think they should leave it, to be honest. They should give us more boosts. I think the car should have more power. I think it should be more in the driver's hand than it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's about taking downforce away uh, because then the tires won't work. You know, uh, There's a limit to everything and obviously in qualifying we're taking downforce away to those limits but that's for new tires and that's only four laps. Right. Uh, the tires, they just don't work when you take uh, the hand force away so you know it would be a lot more fun with more power, a different tire that could, would allow you to uh, sustain less downforce force mm-hmm. for the car to slide a little bit more like it used to be in Jack's days basically but the formula is good right now, it's good racing is mm-hmm. uh, doing a great tire, making a great tire for the formula and um, I mean I enjoy it, I just think uh, I would like it to be more in a driver's hands sometimes. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, you've talked to also a fair bit about this, uh, the, the tribute helmet to Ayrton Senna and so the, the sort of decision making process behind it and getting the Senna family support has been talked about a lot but I'd like to hear from you about the influence that Senna had on you as a driver and, and why, what it is about him. I mean, we, we all know that everybody looked up to Erickson's son, but why is it that he spoke to you so much that you wanted to do something like this?
3: Well, first of all, uh, it's the first time that I really do something uh, that comes out of me, you know, a very personal uh, gesture, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's very emotional. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, very much, it's very much the first time that I really open up my shell a little bit and mm-hmm. show what I'm feeling like inside. So Senna for me has been uh, it's been my example. Uh, it's been my I've basically copy paste my life on on his model. And uh, you know when I was a kid I got interested in racing uh, because of his uh, craziness, but also the motivation he had and dedication was something that I was very uh, I was looking at it and I was really intrigued by it and. Uh, I found a lot of strength in it, and I discovered myself as the years went on, and I, I was understanding what he was saying, I experienced a lot of what he was saying, I could feel myself from what he was saying. Uh, so it's always been, it sounds weird, but I've always felt a weird connection to it, and, and uh, that's what it is, it's, it's a bit strange to explain like this, and maybe especially to a media person. but. Uh, it's been it's been such an example. It's changed my life so much. Not changed but it's basically formatted my life in such a way that uh, I want to say thank you for all this, for being fortunate enough to live this life now and and keep improving every day. Uh, that's my life is all about that is trying to keep to keep improving and get to what I think should be my limits and, and make it uh, make it further limits. You know, so. For me, uh, it was important to remind what he did for the sport, what he basically did for me, so a big thank you, Uh, and I wanted to take him to another checkered flag, Uh, that was my big thing. And then uh, the other thing is I wanted to continue his legacy by uh, auctioning the the helmet after the race for the the institute. So having the approval of the family was key and I wouldn't have done it without it, so uh, that's why I did it.
1: That glimpse into your your uh, very personal insights, into that is something that the fans who who will hear this will appreciate. So thank you for sharing thank that. You. So to the extent that you can make plans for a five hundred mile race, which yes, you can you can. what what's looking forward? What are you thinking about as you go into this weekend's race? and uh, from from the start, what, what, without revealing any secrets that are going to get you in trouble? What are you expecting, and, and uh, what do you hope? I mean, well, as, hope I'm, to win, of course.
3: as I'm uh, discovering myself more and more, I realize that um, there's a lot more in me, uh, and I need to. Uh, let it out of myself, which is what I did at the Indy Grand Prix. Uh, it's really coming out right now, um, so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to be uh, um, trusting my talent more, uh, without being pretentious. But uh, I'm going to be trusting that more. So my attitude is going to be to trust my mental capacity to sustain uh, high intensity for the whole whole event, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to race straight away as hard as I can.
1: Great. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. You. And uh, best of luck on Sunday. Thank you so much. Always oh, great. Great to hear from Simon, and it was uh, very good of him to share that that very personal uh, insight into into the way that his mind works and the connection that he felt with Sanna early in his driving career. And uh, it's funny because after we finished the interview, I, I got up and I started to I I thanked him very much for his time and I started to walk away and he kind of stopped me and he said, Did that seem too weird to you? for, for me to be that personal. And I said, no, that's, it was, it was perfect. It's exactly the sort sort of thing that fans are clamoring for. They're desperate to have this more personal connection with you guys and what it is that you do and why you do it. And, uh, so I thanked him again for, for sharing that, uh, that very personal moment with us. And, and, uh, he was very, he seemed gratified by by my positive response and uh, and uh, was was happy and smiling as i walked away so it was it was nice to have just that that little moment of a glimpse into the mind of an indie car driver and uh, and i hope that we get to have more of those in the future so okay guys guess what it's trivia time are you ready
2: all right i got wikipedia <laughs> fired up
1: <laughs> no cheating all right <laughs> So um, we're kind of doing this uh, whose line is it anyway style. I'm just kind of making the rules up as we go along. And that's probably why George is going to win again. But <laughs> I'm not going to... No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I will award one point for every every answer. Uh, some questions may have more than one portion to them, which may have more than one answer. I haven't even got them in It's as- I've got the the questions from listeners in a specific order because if, you, if any one of these uh, it, listeners manages to stump both of you guys and we're going to get something special lined up and uh, and send a prize their way. So I've got them lined up in the order that I received them so that, so that we're doing that in a fair manner uh, and a few other side ones as well that, that I put together um, just so that, so that we could make the trivia portion go on a little longer because everybody seems to enjoy it. So I'll just kind of award points where it makes sense and we'll see where we are at the end. And I apologize if the questions are in varying uh, difficulty because I just kind of threw them together again in the order where they arrived. And so it's luck of the draw. So let's try to find a random way to, uh, to get this started here. Whose birthday is closest to Memorial Day? I don't actually know the answer. George, when's your birthday? October. Paul's is September. September. That would be you then. You can go first. Can I defer? <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll give you that.
2: I will <laughs> defer to our guest.
1: Okay, there you go. Let's see if that makes okay. a difference. This will be interesting. Okay, so longtime supporter and listener of more front wing, John Hendricks, has our first question. And uh, he asks How many jets are in the fountain in front of the IMS music, <laughs> George? <laughs> oh, dear
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm called just I'm eight.
1: Eight? No, that is not correct, Paul. Thirty-three point. Mm, yeah, I'll give you half a point for that. Thirty-three small ones and one large one is the answer, evidently. Oh. So uh, I think I think you're close enough to, to. Sorry, John, you you're not gonna get the stump on that one because that was that was pretty tough. So. Um, I just. Making... I want to know why he
2: knows that. Did he actually go count them?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe it's in some trivia book somewhere. Don't ask me. Well,
0: I actually thinking about it. I should have. I should have thought of that. But uh, something I've never known. Mm. <laughs> I when I'm there? I, I, today, I, I didn't even know there was a fountain
1: there. <laughs> no, I'm certainly going to have a look at it when I'm there on Monday. <laughs> So um, we're back to uh, to Dan catcher I'm sorry again if I butchered, butchered your name. This one's to Paul. We all remember the duel to the finish in 1989 between Al Jr. and uh, Emerson Fittipaldi. However, Raul Boisel was in third place at that time. How many laps down was he at the finish of the race?
2: Mr. Boisel driving, I believe, for Rick Gallus, the number 30 Domino's Pizza entry that would, the following year, be piloted to victory by Ari Leindyke finished five laps down in third place that year.
1: That is not the answer that I have. And I checked (laughs) two sources on this, George. What? It it is six. It is six.
2: Did he lose another lap? Oh, that kills me. All right.
1: (laughs) Okay, so George has just jumped into the lead by half a point. But you're right.
0: you're, You're right. He was driving that Domino's Pizza car, so... Good, good job there, but sorry, that doesn't
1: count. No, you, you can <laughs> slap in all the side knowledge you want, but if you don't actually answer the actual question correctly, I can't help you, sorry.
2: And let me correct myself, though, before I do I fail to get the point. That was not for Rick Gallus. That was for Doug Shearson, not for Rick Gallus. I That's got ahead of myself.
1: Take your half point away for giving false information. <laughs> <laughs> I get it
0: right. back for Well, clear, it's right? superfluous information. I mean, he's just showing off.
1: That's right. totally is.
2: That might be the only half point I get.
1: <laughs> so, George, um, this next question is from my friend Howard Cohen, who's a fellow Canadian. And he wants to know who was the first Canadian ever to race in the Indianapolis 500.
0: Ooh. Mm-hmm. Was it... Uh, was... Ew. I don't think it was... Um... I don't think it was Uncle Jacques.
1: Talk it through. Uh,
0: no, it was way before that.
1: Have to get all. Who wants to be a millionaire? Is that your final answer?
0: Yeah, I'm. Um, uh, I'm thinking it was around the end of around sixty-five. Mm. But uh, um, it's probably even before that. But
1: ew. gonna need an answer soon, George.
0: No, don't, uh, I give
1: up. Paul?
2: Yeah, I don't think it was Villeneuve either, but I would say, uh, just to throw an answer in, Jacques the Elder.
1: Nope. Wow, Howard wins. We're going to wow. get you a nice prize, Howard. Billy Foster was the first Canadian ever to race in the Indianapolis 500. He finished 17th in the 1965 race, George. You were awfully well, close. Well, I did I- I had the right. Yep, you sure did. So, Howard, we're going to get something nice sent your way. I'm going to get that to you, and it'd be easy for me to deliver it to you because you live not too far from me. So we'll get that taken care of post-haste. Thanks very much for playing. We'll continue going through all the submitted questions uh, just because why not? It's fun. Um, So no points for anybody on that one. So George is still in the lead by a half point. Ooh, the suspense. So, Paul. From our friend Alan Stewart, three Indianapolis 500 drivers have called New Albany home. Who are they? I'll give you one point for each, which is almost kind of not fair because two of them are pretty easy, but that's fine. Two okay, Drivers drivers or winners? I'm sorry. I didn't three heard. Indianapolis 500 drivers have called New Albany home.
2: Okay. Well, I, I'm assuming two of those are the Ray Halls. Uh, yes. I thought they were actually from... Hill, uh Hilliard, uh, but I'll, but I'll put those in as my answers.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Graham and Bobby. <sighs> Who else would have been Ohio? Uh, I'm thinking other Ohio drivers are Sarah, Sarah Fisher and Sam. Neither of those were from Columbus area. Uh, I'm gonna have to pass on the third one.
1: George, you have it.
0: I was going to give Sarah, but, um, no, I don't have it.
1: Nope. Well, Bobby and Graham Hall do tend to list themselves as being from New Albany, Ohio. So those two are correct. Oh, well, 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 well. oh, were you about to get it, George?
0: No, no. I, 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 I thought Brian Hurd is from, he's originally from Ohio, but, um,
1: Ah, well, this this last one's tricky because Roscoe Sarles, who late raced in the 500 from 1919 to 1922 and finished P2 in the 21 race, is from <laughs> New Albany, Indiana. Womp womp. Tricky. Wow, that was kind
2: of sneaky.
1: Yeah, it was. That's fine. You. That's right.
2: I still got two points, points of... off it. Good yeah, enough.
1: Exactly. So, Paul, you're now in the lead. George, All let's right. see if we can do something about hmm. that.
2: I'm sensing a uh, non-partial jury here.
1: It never is.
2: Yeah, it's not anything
1: different. <laughs> We're just having fun. Don't complain.
0: You're in the lead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> George, our friend Sam Klein wants to know, Danny Sullivan is the only driver to spin and win at the Indianapolis 500 in 1985. Name the driver that spun twice and finished second.
2: Who's this question for, me or George? For
1: George. Oh. Man, these are tough. Mm-hmm.
2: Been twice in
1: a second. This is a really tough one. I'll give you the year.
0: Uh, okay,
1: that might help. It might be too much though, but I'll, it's it's better than nothing. Nineteen
0: Oh, Oh, sixty-six. Um, um, uh, Jim Clark.
1: Yeah, that's correct. There yeah. You go. All right.
0: It's been twice. Um, um.
1: <laughs> Paul is still an elite, ah. though. No, okay. Yes. Yeah, so from Raymond Hando Will Power will be making his sixth Indianapolis 500 start in car number 12 this Sunday. Which former IndyCar champion is he tying for the most Indianapolis 500 starts in car number 12?
2: Starts in car 12. You said a former Indianapolis 500 champion?
1: Sixth IndyCar champion.
2: A former IndyCar champion. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Who else would have driven Car 12?
1: If we want to be particular, we can say IRL champion.
2: All right. Well, let's see. Uh, That would be Scott Sharp. Tony Stewart would be no... Buddy Lazier drove 91 all his years. Gray Gray drove two. I going
1: to need an answer, Paul.
2: For, and he's specifically, who drove car number 12? That was the question?
1: The, who is Will tying for the most Indianapolis 500 starts in car 12? He's making Good. his sixth this weekend. Somebody else has also entered six times in car 12. Who is it?
0: Good too, grief.
1: Too late. George?
0: Well, I was Calkin
1: Correct. Paul, wow. are you going to go bang your head against the wall now for not knowing that?
2: I am, especially since that's the one guy I didn't enlist
1: as
2: a <laughs> he, was the, he was the very first IRL champion. He and Scott Sharp. I said Sharp. I missed Calkins. Well, they
1: (laughs) can So there you go. All right, George, from our friend DZ, we all know that Firestone was the first tire manufacturer and first American manufacturer to win the Indy 500 in tires in 1911. Name the second tire maker based in the U.S. to win. I'll give you an extra point if you can give me the year.
0: Wait, repeat the question. I'm, I'm, it's so it's almost kind of too
1: easy. Firestone was on Ray Haroon's car in 1911, so they were the first tire fa- manufacturer to win. Who was the second? Right. Based, he says based in the United States, so I'm going to assume that that matters.
0: Well, uh, my first instinct is to say Goodyear, but I'm, I'm thinking there must be some obscure
2: tire in the... You're right. There queens. is,
1: and so you're incorrect, Paul.
2: The only other manufacturer I can think of that I think is one would be Dunlap, but are they are they they sound American?
1: <laughs> oh, you mean Dunlop?
2: Dun, well, yes, Dunlop. I think I think they're I think they're British. Are they, it's,
1: it's not Dunlop. B.F. Goodrich in 1915. Uh, yeah, so. No points for anybody for that one. Wow, you guys are low scoring this year. <coughs> Where are we at? Paul? You're we, up next, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're into the the few questions that I dug up now. What year did the use of seatbelts become mandatory?
2: Oh, I just heard this not too long ago. Um, seatbelts are mandatory.
1: Kind of blows my mind.
2: It seemed like it was fairly late. Um, I want to say it was into the f- f- 50s? Eh,
1: George?
0: Um, yeah, I'm thinking it was... I know fire suits weren't mandatory until like 59, I think. Um, golly, seat belts. I'm gonna say 1948.
1: Number so I gets. found the year I found was 1963. Oof. I know they were going fairly fast by then.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness!
1: Guys rear-engine cars by then.
2: George, we're not doing too well.
1: No, you're really not. No, we're not. But George is still leading by half a point, so.
0: Which really, which is really all that matters.
1: <laughs> well, I've got a potential two point question for you here, George, for the next one. In two thousand two, with just over a lap remaining, we all know what happened between Paul Tracy and Elio Castro Neves, but name the two drivers involved in the incident that created the kerfuffle. Ooh,
2: very nice wording. Oh I'm thinking Buddy
0: Lazier.
1: Give you one point for that one.
0: And I don't know. I can't think of the other one.
1: Paul, you want to steal the point here?
2: I think it's the first time he's ever been mentioned on our podcast if it is Laurent Redon.
1: You are correct in both ways. (laughs)
2: Wow. How did
1: you
0: pull that one up?
1: Because Paul he was, was driving
2: the MyJet car for yeah, that I, coin. That I
1: remember. Yep. <laughs> because Paul is a font of useless knowledge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: And I he just likes like, saying Laurent Redon.
2: I, I did kind of like saying that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I think, George, that was your question. So we're ending on an even number of questions if we get one more here, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. So I got a potential three pointer for here for you here, Paul, and one of them's probably too easy. Who is the only?
2: I can name all four. I can name all three four time winners easily. Get it? Yep. Three points.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, you're kind of not too far <laughs> off. Who is the only four time winner to win the Rookie of the Year honors? What year did he do it? And who did he share the honor with?
2: Rick Mears Mhm. Won Rookie of the Year in 1978. Mhm. Oh God! Sharing the honor with Larry Rice.
0: Oh. Yeah! Oh.
1: And with that, guess what happened? Oh yeah. <laughs> Paul coming back into into uh, the title of Indianapolis 500 trivia champion. Sorry, George. But oh you if you could God. see the white that man was, dance was, I'm doing was,
2: right now, you would be impressed.
1: That was that was just a layup. <laughs> well, let me see. We have uh, six and a half points for Paul and four for George. Ooh, you 50-plus percent. Uh, it seems to me that George laid a pretty good smackdown last year, though, too. So I, I think, you, you,
2: no, uh, no, no, George did not lay a good smackdown. George won by randomly guessing 1927 on some question he had absolutely no <laughs> clue about.
0: And that still gets you, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> yes, a little bit.
1: Well, there you go. You get to have bragging rights for a year, and then next year we'll bring George back and, and he can have his bragging rights back and it'll just be all kinds of fun. I love how competitive <sighs> you guys get. It's hilarious.
0: Golly, I I can't believe you, you got that. I mean, that was the easiest question tonight.
2: the It really was, wasn't it? Thanks, Steph. I appreciate
1: that. <laughs> Sorry. Told you it was random. If you hadn't... If... if, if hold on that's
2: the that's the benefit of deferring deferral. to the second yes, half
1: exactly so there you go it was completely <clears> right <throat> anyhow yeah, the home team <laughs> oh come <laughs> on you know i would never <laughs> get in if i had a choice Now <laughs> now we'll never hear the end of it for months <laughs> okay well um let's just do a little bit of housekeeping before we we type the to- oh my gosh i can't do that yet I com- I completely forgot I've got another interview to share with you guys and it's a really good one. So I'm... Oh,
2: wait 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 wait. Does this mean we have to listen to your rant about why you didn't get James Hinchcliffe to Toronto?
1: You know I've softened on that rant a little bit. I'm still I'm still upset about it, but um, I'll tell you something. Having Jacques Villeneuve at the uh, the media availability today made everybody show up who would have showed up for Hinchcliffe anyway. There were so many people there. I couldn't
2: figure out why you were so upset about it to be honest.
1: Because I'm, to me. I find it deeply frustrating that Hinch got on the front page of the sports section in Canada's largest newspaper on the Sunday after he was injured, but then he comes back from that injury and qualifies in the middle of the front row for the biggest race in the world, and you can't sell them a story on it to save your life. And and if they had actually brought Hinch to Toronto and had him talking to people, that good side of that story would have gotten some some exposure and some coverage and because they didn't do that it didn't and I just find that extremely frustrating but having having Jacques there really made up for it there were lots of people turned out tons of tv turned out which was great and um and he was really great to talk to he had some he he just really didn't pull any punches about what he thought about the the qualifying format how different and how not different in some ways, the uh, the current cars are from the uh, from the previous ones that he drove when he was last at the speedway. Gosh, 19 years ago, and um, no, he he just had some really insightful comments on how. The mentality of drivers has changed so much since then because of the evolution of the cars and such. So I'll stop talking about it and let you listen to it. It's really a great interview with uh, with Jacques Villeneuve. Oh, thank you so much for a few minutes of your time today. I'm very, very uh-huh. pleased to, to get the opportunity to hear uh, you starting again in, a, in another Indianapolis 500 outside ninth row. Yeah, very very,
4: right? uh, very unexpected. Um, the outside ninth row, yeah, that, that's not as nice as it could be, but uh, we were expecting to be at the back of qualifying. We didn't spend any time working on the qualifying. Set up because all that matters mm-hmm. at India is, is the race. Sure. Um, and also, because uh, they added points to qualifying this year, yeah. and I'm not in the points chase, so all, all the ones participating in the, in, 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 the, in the championship this year put extra emphasis on qualifying. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that just became pointless for us.
1: Sure, that makes sense. So uh, it's fair to say a fair number of things have changed since the last time you were at the Speedway in 1995, but what stands out to you? Um, not that much
4: actually, just it's been re so the, the track is nice and smooth. Mm-hmm. It used to be bumpy. Yeah. Um, the cars are a little bit different, but the speeds are similar. So, this could be a four-year gap. It, it, it doesn't feel like a 19-year nine, gap in, in, uh, in evolution. Right. The cars are a lot safer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it feels safer with the thought, if you crash, somehow it's not as scary as before, mm-hmm. which is probably a problem. Maybe that's why... Some drivers are overly confident um, because they don't realize how dangerous it it, it could be. They they think they're playing a video game. Um, The cars are are safer to drive also because they're a little bit forgiving. Some I think that probably the the tire technology has evolved, the cars have a lot of downforce, uh, uh, but they have a lot less horsepower. Um, Where 19 years ago we relied more on running higher downforce and as soon as you lost control, there was no bringing it back. Right. You know, you, when, when you were on that little edge, on that fine edge, you oh, you, you tighten your bum and you just stopped breathing and you were going for it. And you know, you knew that you were on, on that special moment and you were risking it all. Where now, even in quality, you just okay, maybe I'll slide a little bit. You don't have that feeling of danger that you had. Right. What's become difficult is running in traffic <clears throat> um, because you're flat out all the time. Mm-hmm uh... you don't actually just drive the car through the corners because you're just staying flat out and it depends what speed you're doing and, and and the key is to get the car to be able to drive right up to someone's gearbox without having to lift mm-hmm. and that's what's difficult through the corners because you lose the arrow the the, the, the air starts shaking you around right uh... And if you manage to get a car that works the situation that that's, that's when you'll be able to make a move
1: right. so how you, how's your feeling on the uh bringing up the boost for qualifying, just to get that jump in speed, to bring those numbers up. It should up be and even then, bigger than yeah.
0: that.
4: <laughs> uh, we could do with more. Um, yeah. And in, even in the race, it should be more. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it feels like more power would be more fun. Right. And the more power there is, I think it's it starts making a difference between the good and average drivers. Sure. Well, normally we say the the boys from the men.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, now we can say that because there's also a girl driving. But that, as a, as a, as, a, as a meaning, uh, you know, it's it's, yes. it's very telling. And with the lower power, you don't. It doesn't really make the difference anymore. It's easy to go. It's easy to to run flat out. But then it becomes difficult to run in traffic, and that's when people get caught out. And that's when it can get a little bit dangerous, because some drivers should not be in that pack. Right. You know, they can drive fast, but once they get in the pack, it's just too much and they're not ready for it. Yeah. And I just, I'm just trying to find out who, who and I should avoid. And right, <laughs> right that was going to be my next
1: question, but if you don't have an answer to that yet, then... <laughs> no, not yet.
4: No, I don't have yet. No, and well, I have a few ideas, but uh, yeah. Not, not
1: something to have to figure out at uh, 220 change. During
4: yeah, but we get used race. to the color of the cars, and you, you figure it out during the race.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, what about the changes to the qualifying format? That, that was year? You enjoyed it? I, I loved it.
4: Um, and I think it was exciting for the fans as well because yeah. there was always someone going on the track trying to go for it. So there was always a little bit of tension even for the fans. So will we get it or not? Mm-hmm. Um, where before, you would have people just practicing and then suddenly someone might do a lap. So what would you do for two hours? Just watch people practice. That was, that was, that was boring. Yeah. So now you have people going out all the time. You didn't have to take your time out. Mm-hmm. That, that was a good format. Good.
1: Um, things went well with the team operating internally, getting along well. Really
4: well. Um, well, half of the team is Canadian, yes. Half yes. Hour, so that's good. Um, my main guy on the car is Canadian as well. And who is that? I'm sorry. Damien. Uh, he was at. Uh, he was with. Um, he was at Herta last year.
1: Oh, Damien Stewart, right? Yeah.
4: Yes. yes. I didn't. I didn't know his family name. Uh, that's okay. Um, and he's not. He's just doing the indie. Right. Man um, engineer, it's, it's the one they have in Indy Lights, and the team is Tim Neff. Okay, yes. And he was with uh, he was with us in Atlantics. We oh He wow. was doing our shocks. Okay. And then he went on to do uh, uh, to engineer Blundell in IndyCar and mm-hmm. so on. So it's a lot of, but it's, it's, it's nice to go back to. Uh, to, to the roots in a way, so it's been very easy to to um, to gel. And I also have a, one guy on my car who who was uh, working on my car in the IndyCar days as well. So it's, it's, you know, it's 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 nice to, to have the, the, the group. Yeah. it's working well.
1: So is it almost a sense of coming home, coming back to all these people that you've known for all these years? And
4: yes, um, definitely being at the brick uh, the Indy 500 at the Brickyard, but also being in an open wheel park.
2: yeah.
3: Right. yeah.
4: I feel at home when I'm in a race car when I'm racing. Anyway, but there's a little bit extra
1: for an open wheel car. So some people have questioned your motivations, being sort of older than than the average Indy car driver. And uh,
4: and I'm really angry because there's an older guy than me. Yeah. And I, when when Lazier was announced, I was
1: really
2: angry.
4: <laughs> I was really wanting to be the the grand the, the granddad there, but I'm not. Do you
1: feel like there's a difference that there used to be in terms of the age that you need to be to get the good, good performance?
4: No, I think it's gotten easier because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I raced in an age where it was safer, mm-hmm. so I didn't bring it, break, break any bone, I didn't yeah. do any massive damage, so that helps. At an age where we're healthier yep. uh, in general, so that you can, you know, be... Uh, Performing for, for longer, and also at an age where we started training to be race car drivers physically, uh, and that 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 started about when I got into F1. So I was just at the beginning of it, and, and I think that's give us given us an extra 10 years, and uh, where suddenly the experience really pays off. Um, the experience used to pay off in the old days when racing was super dangerous. So the yeah. experienced drivers would be better able to judge right. when to take the risk or not. Uh, but now, the Indy 500 is still dangerous, but a, a lot of F1 races, a lot of those races, there, there's hardly any danger left because there's there's nothing to it. there's asphalt everywhere. So just crazy and dumb some, sometimes can be fast. Right. Now So that, that's changed a little bit. But in this race, experience pays off.
1: Great. You know what else? I'll just wrap it up there. That's fantastic. fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank Pleasure to meet you. Appreciate wow. your time. So such a pleasure to have Jacques on the podcast and uh, just really, uh, really did not pull any punches on, on his thoughts on the, a lot of situations. And I do hope that uh, some of the people making decisions to hear some of those, some of those thoughts and, uh, and consider them when they're, when they're thinking about uh, evolution to the sport going forward. Okay, now I can do the, the community bulletin before we tie things up for the day. I um, want to start by letting you know that we will have quite a bit of live coverage on the ground this weekend for the 98th running of the Indianapolis 500. I will be there in full capacity. Paul, are you, you're you not taking Jack, but you're going to be with your dad, correct?
2: Yeah, and I'll probably miss part of uh, Carb Day as well, because poor Jackson is having his tonsils removed Aww. Friday morning.
1: Poor guy. I'm I sorry know. to hear that. I hope he gets through it Okay. <laughs> without oh help be discomfort fine. Um, but yeah you i know that you uh, you and your dad have some special moments as so many families do for the uh, the day of the indianapolis 500 but i'm sure that you'll will hear from you here and there um of course. And John will be around as well this weekend and uh, not only joining us in our coverage, but also promoting his book, Hard Luck Lloyd. Uh, We will have a review of that up very shortly and on on morefrontwing.com. And I also want to let you know about some book signings that he'll be doing over the weekend. He'll be at a cocktail reception at IMS Museum on Friday night, Carb Day night. Um, I've got the the invitation right in front of me, so let me get the exact times here. It's from 6.30 to 9.30 at the Hall of Fame Museum, and um, he and Gordon Kirby will be there signing copies of their books and uh, meeting and greeting with fans, so uh, if you have a chance to get to that, that would be awesome, and once you're done there, Paul and I are both going to be going from there straight over to the Carb Night Burger Bash up at 96th Street Steak Burger, of course, to join uh, Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee as they raise money for um, Indianapolis area charities. Hope to see you there because that's always a great event and a great chance to catch up with, with IndyCar fans. And on Saturday afternoon at the memorabilia show at the Speedway at 2pm, John will also be on site with copies of his book and uh, signing there as well, so if you're going to be there at that time, please do Swing by and uh, pay him a visit, and and uh, pick up one of the books. It's a great read and a great way to learn more about so uh, one of the speedways great drivers who really didn't get the credit for his talent that he deserved in his time. So. Uh, very interesting stuff. One other event that I'm getting to for the first time in Indianapolis that I'm really looking forward to is the Yellow Party uh, that's thrown by Ryan hunter Ray and the team at Andretti Autosport to raise money for rais- racing for cancer and uh, the Little Red Door and a number of other cancer-benefiting charities. Of course, Ryan hunter Ray having lost his mom to cancer, is, put, puts a great deal of time and effort into fundraising for cancer-oriented charities. And so I'm looking forward to getting to that event and um, just taking a look around and seeing what it's all about because I've never been to one and uh, I understand that there's um, meet and greet with drivers and silent auctions and live music by the band live and um, yeah, I just I think that uh, it'll be a great event and something I've wanted to get to for a long time so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, anything else I've missed, Paul? There's a, Is there a tweet up? There must be. What
2: there else? is and if you give me just half a second I'll tell you exactly when that is.
1: Organized booked and... out by Pippa and uh, the, the lovely Amy of IndyCar Mom.
2: That is correct. Through yes, the it Indy is.
1: fans tweet up uh, fan page. That, and uh,
2: and, and, and that will be released. Sunday morning, race day morning at 9:30 a.m. in the Pagoda Plaza. So directly behind the the uh, pagoda is where that will take place.
1: So probably in the same spot that we were at for the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. If you have to be there for that. So um where we kind of were was behind the pagoda, just kind of gathered around one of the planters. At the if you're facing the pagoda, almost at the the bottom left. So um, yeah, looking forward to seeing a whole bunch of great IndyCar fans this weekend and a uh, great race. And you know, it's the Indianapolis 500. How can it not be awesome? Anything else that you want me to address, Paul, or that you want to address before we go?
2: I think we've covered it. Looking forward to a great race.
1: Absolutely. And we'll be back next week to wrap it all up and uh, look forward from there to the very quick turnaround to the uh, Chevy Duel in Detroit. And so um, looking forward to that as well. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because there's still Indy and uh, we're all looking forward to it. So we'll be back afterwards. But until then, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more Front Wing.